Calvary. How are you? We are glad that you are here. Welcome to our podcast listeners who may be listening in this morning. And happy Mother's Day. Um, I know that Mother's Day is an exciting day for many of us, and for some it can uh, be a painful day. And so the Bible says we rejoice with those that were rejoicing, and we weep with those that are weeping. And whatever your circumstance, we're glad and honored that you joined us today. We're actually doing a series uh, right now called The Widow's Might. It's very appropriate for Mother's Day as we're talking about that. And last week, Trevor talked about a woman who found her faith through her obedience. But what about the woman who already should have faith? What about the man who should already have faith? As we're looking at the passage today, we're going to be doing one of, studying one of my favorite passages. It's Ruth chapter 1. And we're going to be looking at the life of a woman who struggled. Who struggled because, well, her life sort of fell apart. So we're going to get a little bumpy before we come back around and have hope, okay? Ruth chapter 1, um, beginning in verses 1 through 5. In the days when the judges ruled, there was a famine in the land. So a man from Bethlehem and Judah, together with his wife and two sons, went to live for a while in the country of Moab. And the man's name was Elimelech. His wife's name was Naomi, and the names of the two sons were Malion and Kilion. And they were Paphrites from Bethlehem, Judah. And they went to Moab and lived there. Now Elimelech, Naomi's husband, died, and she was left with her two sons. They married Moabite women, one named Orpah and the other Ruth. And they lived there about 10 years, and then both Malion and Kilion also died. And Naomi was left without her two sons and her husband. This is an interesting passage to discuss, and it's an interesting passage to discuss on Mother's Day, because it's like, <laughs> this is a cheery passage, right? But I think a lot of times what we have to understand is when we study passages like this, it's good for us to see that life isn't like, well, social media wants to portray it. Or like the picture frames in our house where everybody's like, smile, y'all stop hitting each other so we can smile, so we can have this picture to make everyone think that we're exactly great kids as we put this up in our house, right? Sometimes we can even look at this, and if you're a mom in the room and you're looking at Mother's Day, and you can use this day as instead of enjoying the day and celebrating the day, you can sit there and you go, how am I doing compared to all the other moms? And all the other moms are getting their Facebook posts, and all the other moms are getting the accolades, and I can't even get my kids to throw their socks in the dirty clothes. Sometimes we need to realize that life is kind of difficult and a struggle. So as we look at this passage today, I want us to, to really understand a little bit more about what's going on in this passage, okay? In Ruth chapter 1, here's what it says. In the days of the judges, we already covered that, but I want us to study this a little more. The days of the judges, okay? Because this is a tragic story. The, the, the men have died, but I want you to see there's more to it. The days of judges, there wasn't a king. There wasn't a person in the, who could come and, and rescue them. There wasn't, the, the people were of Israel were supposed to just live a life and, and, and trust in God and trust in his provision through that. There was a famine in the land. That was significant because, well, they didn't have Walmart. And ask a farmer, right? If you didn't have Walmart and you didn't have this thing called processed foods, though rain meant no food. And it wasn't like I'm going to go borrow from my neighbor and I'm going to go take their crops. I mean, they didn't have a way to water the crops, so it was a big deal. There was a man from Bethlehem. Bethlehem is a city and stood for house of bread. Hence the irony, famine in the house of bread. In Judah, 
And Judah was the tribe of strength, which, by the way, was the weakest of the 12 tribes. Israel was divided into 12 tribes, and, and Judah was the, the weakest of the 12 tribes. And some of you are going, Daniel, what's, what are you doing with all this? Just stay with me, because you're going to see a beautiful picture unfold, much more than what you could just gather when you first read this. Together with his wife and sons, they were to live there a while in the country of Moab. I'm not going to get into why Moab is bad. Just trust me, Moab is bad. If you really want to look at it, Google it and read the stories, and it will be like, that's in the Bible? What? Moab um, was a place that had been historically horrific for the Israelites to go. They worshiped differently. And so to take your sons into the land and have them marry Moabite daughters would be the equivalent of taking your sons to a place and saying, marry this person of a different faith that we don't believe. And God, would you still bless our family? That was just bad. The man's name was Elimelech. Now, Elimelech, okay? Anytime you see in the Hebrew, the Hebrew names meant a lot. Elimelech, if you see the word E-L in a Hebrew name, it means the word God is in there. So Daniel's name, Daniel, D-A-N-I-E-L. People always ask me, is it D-A-N-I-A-L? And I'm like, no, E-L. E-L means God. My name means God is my judge of a Hebrew name. You may not know that. Now you know it, okay? Now, Elimelech starts with E-L, and his name meant God is king. So God is king married a woman named Naomi, and her name meant pleasant one. Now, if there isn't ever a name that you want your mom to have, I mean, who wouldn't want their mom to be pleasant one, right? Pleasant one, that's awesome. They went, and then they sojourned into the land of Moab. Now, when you go sojourn, y'all know what's going on in the um, Hawaii right now, the volcanoes exploding and all that stuff. And the uh, sojourner would be the equivalent of this. I'm going to go and take my family and we're going to go live at the foot of this volcano because the light at night is so beautiful. I mean, I just love looking at it. It's so be- and it's warm year round. And, and I'm going to go live right there. And everybody's saying, don't do that because if you li- we're not going to be able to rescue you. And so when you sojourned into another land, you basically were saying, Hey, I'm going to go live in this land. I'm going to take care of myself. Don't worry about it. The government's not going to help me. Why? Because we're not their people. And taking care of foreigners was a, pun intended, foreign concept at the time. They wouldn't have done it. And so I'm going to go live in this land. And I'm going to go find um, peace here in a place I'm not supposed to be. And they had two sons. Their two sons were named, wait for it, Malion and Kilion. Now this is my favorite part of the passage, right? Because Malion meant sick one. You think you had a hard time going to school, kids? Go in kindergarten and tell everyone your name is sick one. (laughs) Really easy to find a prom date that way. Um, Kilion was the other child's name. And the word Kilion meant wasting away. So God is king, Mary's pleasant one. And they named their their kids sick one and weakling. Do you see a pattern here? Now, all of this is portrayed by this slide. You want to take a screenshot? Feel free. This is what you really may not see when you first read this, but I think it's important to understand. So I'm about to read you a Daniel Berry standard version paraphrase of this, okay? This is what this means. In other words, what I'm about to read is not actually the Bible, but it's an interpretation of what this passage really stands, says. There was a man named God is king, married to a woman named Pleasant One, that ignores God's command. What is the command? Stay in Israel. Why did he leave? Because there was no bread. 
because the house of bread that had no bread and the tribe of strength was actually weak to go to a land that had been historically horrific to his people and have his boys marry girls from the land despite the history of these people and giving up their rights as people while in the land. Now while they were in the land they shouldn't be in, the man who walked away from God dies along with his two sons named weakling and frail one or sick one, leaving a mother-in-law and her two daughters-in-law without hope because of the circumstances they did not cause. Cheery, right? Have you ever been there? In a land that you didn't know how you got there? Maybe it wasn't your fault. Maybe you've had struggles in your life, and the reality is we will all have struggles in our life, and we will all be faced with adversity. So here's what I want you to know. Your faith will be defined by how you handle the struggles of life. Your faith will be defined by how you handle the struggles of life. Not the good moments, not the great moments, but the struggles of your life. Your faith will be defined. Now, here's the reality. When you die, there's going to be people who gather in a room. It doesn't matter if they're young, or old, male, woman. doesn't matter, right? People are going to gather in a room and say there's an urn there, or let's say there's a casket. It doesn't really matter. People are going to gather, and they're going to talk at the funeral, because I've now that I've been a pastor a few years, I've seen the pattern, about two things. And here's how you're going to be remembered at your funeral, okay? Whether or not you had faith. And the people who had faith, that funeral is a lot more pleasant for than those who didn't. That's how you're going to be remembered. We can talk about the eternal consequences for those who have faith. That's important because if you have faith, you get to live with God forever. But even just on the legacy from earth's standpoint, whether or not you had faith, you're going to be remembered for that. And the second thing they're going to remember you for was the following. Not how many times they took your kids to soccer. Not how you plan the vacations. Not how good of a house cleaner you were or how you provided for your family. Not whether or not you got up before the dawn to kill the rooster to cook chicken. I don't know. Not for anything else but other than this one fact. Were they pleasant? And if they weren't pleasant, guess what's going to happen? Everybody's going to gather at the funeral and lie on your behalf. (laughs) I'm not going to, but they will. I've just seen it over and over again. So-and-so was the sweetest person in the world. You were in my office last week complaining about them. You know, that's... But after the funeral, when the funeral's over and the rest of your life, when they look at the pictures, they're going to remember one of two things. Did they have faith? And were they pleasant to be with? Your life can be summed up in those terms. And the measure of whether or not you are living a life of faith, and the measure of not whether you handle this in a way, whether or not the measure of how you will be viewed in this life is defined by the struggles of your life. Now, if there's ever a person who has the right to complain, it's Ruth. I mean, not Ruth, Naomi. Naomi had the right to complain. She probably had no choice when her husband said, we're moving. They didn't have that choice back then. Wives did not have that choice. And she would have left everyone she knew And they would have named their kids, which she would have had no choice on the names. The Elimelech would have named their kids Sick One and Frail One. Can you imagine that conversation? You named our kids what? Right? And in the circumstances of their life, she could have complained. And probably no one would have even noticed. And maybe you've been there. Divorced. Broken. Desperate. Maybe you've lost your job. Maybe you've faced horrific circumstances, recovering from an affair. 
Maybe the circumstances weren't even your fault. Maybe something in your family has caused a trigger, something bad to happen, a kid that's teetering on walking away from their faith. Maybe, just maybe, in your life, you've come to the place where you sit there and you're going, God, why is this happening to me? And the end result of that is what we end up doing is we look around and we start trying to find people to blame. We start trying to find people to blame because we're upset, because life has not gone well. We struggle because we don't know where to look, and at the end, we end up even blaming God. But does it have to be this way? The story continues in Ruth chapter 1, verse 16. There's uh, two daughters-in-laws in the story. One goes back to Moab, and people give her a bad rap. She was just doing what was natural. Stay in the land of your people. Going back to, Mo- to Israel as a Moabitess would not have been a very smart idea. She stayed there. She could have found another husband. She could have had kids, and life could have gone on. But Ruth did not. In verse 16, we pick up the story as Ruth replied, Don't urge me to leave you or to turn back from you. For where you go, I will go. And where you stay, I will stay. And your people will be my people and your God, my God. Now, there's a lot of times people want me to read that verse at their wedding, and I'm always like, sure, I'll read their verse at your wedding. Where you go, I'll go. Where you, your God will be my God, etc., etc. I'll be glad to do that, but i got to set the context. It wasn't a husband written to a wife or a wife to a husband. It's a daughter to her mother-in-law. Are you okay with that? That was just free. It had nothing to do with the sermon. <laughs> the key point at the end of that verse is this. Your people will be my people, and your God, my God. You see, the faith of a woman who didn't naturally know that Yahweh was God, who comes and says, okay, I see something in you, even if you aren't living. I see that you're upset. I see that you're struggling. But there's something about your God I want to follow. So she says, where you die, I will die. And there I will be buried. And may the Lord deal with me, be it ever so severely, if even death separates you and me. And when Naomi realized that Ruth was determined to go with her, she stopped urging her. So the two women went on, To Bethlehem. And when they arrived in Bethlehem, the whole town was stirred because of them. And the woman explained, exclaimed, Can this be Naomi? In other words, they were excited to see her. She's come back. Pleasant one's back. And she says in verse 20, Don't call me Naomi. Don't call me pleasant one, she told them. Call me Mara, which means bitter. Because the Almighty has made my life very bitter. I went away full, but the Lord has brought me back empty. It's quite ironic that she says that. I went away full, but the Lord has brought me back empty, right? She comes back into her community, and the people are excited to see her. So it's not like she's going back and there's not people. And you're going to see that throughout the rest of the book of Ruth, there's people who are greeting her. There's people who remember her. She even owns land, you know, that kind of stuff. So she's going back. She's not completely empty. And oh, yeah, there's this woman named Ruth. I came back empty. Who's that beside you? Oh, meet empty. I mean Ruth. Ruth came to take care of her, and she she misses those things. And she says, call me bitter. And she blames God. Here's the reality of the story, though. Was it God's fault? No. Unfortunately, there are times in our life when sins... And other people's sins, our sins, all the way back to Adam's sins, makes our life difficult. 
And in the process, when life becomes difficult, we blame God because we feel like God should come down and just magically snap his fingers and make us better. And somewhere along the line, what we do is we miss the truth of what God really wants for us. Who could blame her? Here's what I want you to see very clearly. I really thought a lot about this and the way I want to phrase it. So tread lightly and listen closely, okay? If you're a victim in this room, and there are a lot of victims in this room, a victim is someone who has been taken advantage of, someone who's been given circumstances beyond their control, someone who has gone through a difficult mess because of someone else's choices. That makes you a victim. And what I want to say is, I'm so sorry. The Bible says, like I started this sermon, we rejoice with those that rejoice, and we weep with those that weep. And we as the church are going to do our best to walk you through those circumstances. But part of walking through those circumstances is to point you to this one singular truth. Your life should not be defined as a victim. It shouldn't. You're a son or a daughter of the king. And so when she says, call me bitter, who is giving her the title of a bitter woman? She is. So here's the truth. Bitter people are bitter by choice. Bitter people are bitter by choice. Happy Mother's Day, by the way. (laughs) I don't know why I did that. That was just weird. But here's the good news. You don't have to be. You see, somewhere along the line, there's people who want to help you escape. There's a way that that God had made a way for you to, to get out of this reality. So can I share with you an illustration Okay, this is one of the few illustrations I remember from my childhood of being in church. So this is like 35 years old, and it's going to show it when I tell it. In fact, when I start this illustration, some of you are going to go, I've heard that before, right? You're gonna, and you're going to be able to finish it way ahead of time because it's that kind of illustration, okay? We're going to go back to the hurricane illustration, the idea of a hurricane's coming. And the hurricane's coming, and this big, massive flood is coming. And there, there's this guy who's in the floodplains, and there, the government comes and tells him, hey, you better get out. He's like, no, I'm not getting out. My God is going to save me. The floods come and the waters start to rise. And he's in a two-story house. And so he's like, well, this is not turning out like I thought, but God's going to rescue me. So he goes up to the second floor. And when he's on the second floor, this guy comes by in a boat. I know. He comes by in a boat. And as he's coming by on the boat, he's like, hey, dude, come get in the boat. I'm going to rescue you. And he's like, no, nope, don't need it. My God is going to rescue me. Well, the water keeps rising, and so he starts going, uh-oh, I'm trapped. And he takes an axe, because he has an axe. I don't know why he has an axe, but he does. And he busts through the roof of his house, and he climbs up on the roof of the house, and the water keeps rising, and the eye of the storm comes, so there's another half of the hurricane coming, right? And right then, a helicopter comes. I practiced the noise, but it doesn't sound very good, so I'm not going to do it with you guys. A helicopter comes, and he's coming over them, and he, they're dropping the ladder, and there's a guy in the helicopter who goes, hey, buddy, grab the rope, or you're going to die. And he's like, I'm all... He dies. TV timeout, okay? This is the part where he, the rest of the story is not necessarily theologically correct, but makes a good point, okay? Time in. He goes up to heaven. And why is it heaven? He runs up into some, like, I don't know, pick a person. Let's say it's Peter. And Peter goes, hey, why are you here? I thought you weren't supposed to die yet. And he goes, well, 
I thought God was going to rescue me, but he didn't rescue me in my storm. And he goes, what are you talking about? He sent the government to tell you not to be there. He sent a guy in a boat to come pick you up. He sent a guy in a helicopter. You should have grabbed the rope. Y'all get the point of this, right? (laughs) And the reality is in the midst of our mess, we feel like and we believe the lies that our life is awful and we claim the bitterness and we label ourselves all the while missing the fact that we have SOBA in this group to help you through things. For single moms, we have a ministry called Celebrate Recovery who helps you come through addiction and problems there. We have a benevolence offering that we take up in this church that when you're struggling and you just can't make the ends meet that one month. Now, we're not going to pay the bills every month so you can go buy a bigger house. But when you have a a legitimate lead, maybe you've lost your job, we have a benevolence fund to help the people in our church get by. We have small groups that we encourage you to be plugged into so that when you're in the hospital, they can bring a meal and and knock on your door and cry with you when you lose your mom and and walk you through the tragedy of the choices your kids have made. And, And we do all of these things and all the while we see how God has provided us a source, a network, a hope of encouragement in the world of choices and circumstances that were caused of the ripple effect of someone else's sins. It's not God's fault. It's the fallen world. But here's the good part. The rescuer didn't leave us in our mess. He didn't. Naomi's story gets interesting. As her daughter takes on, her daughter-in-law takes on the the role of rescuer as she marries a young man named Boaz. Now, this is one of the most beautiful love stories found throughout the Bible. Hallmark Channel doesn't have a candle to it, okay? (laughs) Not that I ever watch Hallmark Channel. (laughs) Maybe Christmas, I don't know. But when you see this story unfold, you see the rescuer comes. And Boaz is the foreshadowing. It's the, because every story in the Bible whispers the name of Jesus. It's the foreshadowing of what Jesus is going to do in the New Testament of how our Redeemer, our Rescuer has come. In verse 13 of chapter 4, we pick up the story. So Boaz took Ruth and she became his wife. And when he made love to her, the Lord enabled her to conceive. And she gave birth to a son. And the woman said to Naomi, Praise be to the Lord, who this day has not left you without a guardian and redeemer. May he be famous throughout Israel. He will renew your life and sustain you in your old age. For your daughter-in-law who loves you and who is better to you than seven sons, that was a dramatic statement back then, has given birth to him. Now, the story of Naomi is remarkable, but here's the thing I want you to see. There are two widows in this story, actually three, but two that we're talking about. Naomi and Ruth. One book in the Bible bears the name of one of those widows, Ruth. Both needed rescuing, right? One is remembered for being rescued and one is remembered for her faith. Both were rescued. Did you get that? Let me, let me just say it really clear again. Both needed rescuing, but one is remembered for needing rescued. And one is remembered for her faith. 
choose. Because you will be defined and remembered by your faith by the way you choose to live. Call me bitter. And that's the life you'll live. Call me joy. And people remember your joy. The other beautiful part of this story is we get to see how God loves us and redeems us because Naomi chose the bitter path, but God still looked at her because I think a lot of times we sit there and go, I, I don't know, I'm feeling really bad about myself right now. I, I yelled at my kids this morning or I, I yelled at, I kicked my dog or whatever you're feeling right now, okay? Don't kick your dog, it's bad. But somewhere along the lines, we, we go, oh, I'm not feeling really good about that's why Jesus came, to redeem us, to rescue us, to, to say there's hope, to say there's joy. And I want you to see that we as a church are going to help you walk through that. But hear the promise of what God did through Naomi. That Naomi took the child in her arms and cared for him. And the woman living there said, Naomi has a son. And they named him Obed. That didn't excite you because you may not know who Obed is. He was the father of Jesse. That still may not excite you. Until you see that Jesse was the father of David. Fast forward to Matthew chapter 1. David, who is the father of so-and-so, 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 who is the father of Joseph, who is the father of Jesus. Oh. The Redeemer rescues them in the line of Jesus. Every story whispers his name. And generations from now, they may not remember. If the Lord hasn't come back and we're still here, they may not remember your name, but they remember, may remember your faith, the legacy that you live behind. The choice is yours. So son, daughter, here's my strongest encouragement to you. If you follow Jesus, and if you don't, I would encourage you to follow Jesus because he is the way, the source of hope in this world that is often hopeless. You feel like the world is covering you up. That's probably because you aren't following Jesus. And he dies on a cross for you so that you might know him and live for him. Okay? But if you're following Jesus, and if you claim to be a follower of Christ, the church doesn't need a bunch of bitter people. It needs to be filled with people who are proclaiming and, and recognizing and testifying, I have been rescued both now and forevermore. That the best that this world can throw at me will not defeat me. It will not destroy me. Hear me, tears will come out of my eyes. Whether I'm a guy or a girl, it doesn't matter, right? We may cry a little less, but we're still going to cry. I'm going to have agony. You can weep with me. You can mourn with me. You can struggle with me. You can walk beside me. I'm going to have my ups and I'm going to have my downs. But through it all, I will have joy. Why? Because my rescue is promised and secure. And the choices that other people make, no matter how close they are to me, cannot define or take away my joy. They can rob me of my happiness for a moment, but they can never take my joy. Ever. So what do we do with this? Here's our Monday morning application. It's really novel. Choose joy. How do we do that? You take responsibility for your attitude. If you want to be known as the bitter person, that's on you. If that's how you want to be remembered, it's on you. And maybe the best gift you can give your mom She's still around. Maybe the best gift you can give little boys and girls in this room who are listening is to have an attitude of joy. So what does that mean? It means I'm not going to go around sulking and be upset. I'm going to have an attitude of joy. 
I'm going to try to do what God asked me to do. Moms, maybe the best gift you can give your family, besides giving them birth, thank you for that, is to choose joy. When? Always. And when you don't, repent. Because we're all going to make mistakes. And then let go of what you can't control. You know what will rob you of your joy? Trying to control everything. Trying to control the future. Trying to control what other people are saying, what other people are doing. Well, if I do this, you can't control the wind. You can't control the waves. Why are you trying to control the wind and the waves that other people make? You can control you. And when you can't control it, lean into faith. And here's the beautiful thing. Faith is the exact answer to letting go of what you can control. Why? Because Hebrews 11.1 says this. Now faith is the reality of what is hoped for and the proof of what is not seen. Did you get that? It means you can't see it. I don't know what tomorrow's going to bring. Right, that's faith. But I don't know if the bread's coming. I don't know if this famine's going to end. I don't know if this drought's going to come. I don't know if my daughter's going to get married to a man who's going to take care of me in my old age. I don't know any of this. Yeah, but God does. And I'm going to lean into my rescuer. And then I'm ultimately going to do that by remembering my Redeemer. You see, Jesus did not ever forget you. It's not his fault. So maybe we should stop blaming him and we should stop praising him. Maybe we should put aside the label of whatever that label may be. Divorcee, adulterer, abuser, abused. Maybe we should put aside the label, and and if we have problems, we need to seek counsel. We need to try to allow God to, to make those things better. We need to repent when we need to repent. But we don't need to be defined by those labels. We need to get better instead of getting bitter. And trusting our Redeemer to rescue us. And when we do, we'll see that the joy comes. That the, the moments may be sad and life may still be hard and we may still lose our job and we may still, you know, all those other things. But I'm going to have joy and you can do that. And what would it look like if we really lived a life of joy? You know what it looks like? It's a place where we go, it is well. Do you know the hymn, It Is Well With My Soul? It's an old hymn. And it was written... Let me tell you, if you don't know the history of this hymn, this hymn was written um, many, many years ago when a husband and a father lost his children. They were sailing across the ocean and the boat sank. And when the boat sank, they all died. He later was making the same journey. And as he was traveling across the ocean, he realized it was about the place where the boat sank. And he penned these words, When peace like a river attendeth my soul, when sorrows like sea billows roll, Whatever my lot thou hast taught me to say, it is well, it is well with my soul. How can a man write that after seeing his family perish because he knew the rescuer had come and rescued them into eternal life? And that the God of this universe was still on his throne and he was like, I will not be defined as a victim, as a widower and a a man who's fatherless. I will be defined as the person who writes, it is well with my soul. And his song still lives on in different versions, but it still lives on today. Be that person who says, I will not be defeated by the circumstances of this world. I will be defined as a son or daughter of the king. It is well. It is well with my soul. So God... May those words ring true today in every possible way.
May we lean into the hope and the promise of your security. May we trust in the power of your plan when we can't see and we're hoping. God, we pray for the shackles of our fears to be broken today. We pray for the, the titles that we've worn far too long to be laid at the foot of the cross. And we pray that we walk out of here, not just pep talk, but anew, that we choose Mother's Day 2018 as a day to define that we are no longer victims because we've been rescued by the God of this universe. We trust you. And for God, for those who are struggling today, I pray for an extra measure of hope and encouragement that we as the church can walk beside them and weep with them and challenge them to trust in the power of God. That we will be nurturing, that we'll provide meals for them when necessary, that we will just sit in silence if that's what it takes. But God, that we would show them a little bit more of the power that is in you so that we as a church can proclaim and testify that you are good. And God, we cannot do this on our own strength because we have our own sins, we have our own struggles, but God, help us to continue to live it out, to continue to proclaim that you are good and to define ourselves as sons or daughters of the King so that your might might come out of us. God, help us to utter these words and mean them with all sincerity. It is well with my soul.